it finally stopped snowing. It's been a very cold, wintry day here in the Netherlands. And uh, now that most of the snow is, uh, is gone, I um, finally can head out to record an episode of The Walk. What a difference with yesterday. <laughs> yesterday morning, uh, it was beautiful, sunny weather. I went out for a very long run, a 30-kilometer run on the countryside. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, nothing, nothing told me that today we would kind of revert back to the wintry weather that is just cold and wet and gray and somber. Oh, well, I still have the memory of, of yesterday's sunny run. Speaking of memory, that's going to be the, the topic of today's episode of The Walk. I want to talk about memories and memory making and, and why that is so important. Um, and what triggered this idea was what I did earlier today. Um, I, was, I was compiling a list of, uh, of, the, mem- of the, uh, the half marathons and the marathons that I ran in the past. I never really kept track of it. I knew that I started way back when, I think in 2006 or seven. I think I, I started running. Um, it feels like an eternity ago. And uh, I, I ran a couple of half marathons and a, a number of marathons. And just the other day when I was with my running group, the trainer asked me how many marathons I had actually ran in total. And I realized that I hadn't, didn't have a clue because I never really um, kept track of... Where am I going? Let's go left here. Uh, I never kept track of... Uh, of those um, of those marathons. So how do you recover that information? Um, and for me, it would also be interesting to know how fast I was running at the time, um, just to see if I have um, like a personal best to strive for or something like that, a personal record. And so I, it suddenly occurred to me that I probably had selfies, like photos from uh, either the, the race itself or from me running outside because I used to post um, photos like that on, on Instagram from time to time, especially on, on uh, beautiful days. I would just take a, a couple of pictures. I was tracking the runs with my phone, uh, like an old iPhone. Was it an iPhone 3 or an iPhone 4? <laughs> and I would always carry it with me because it had GPS. And so that was the only way uh, I, I could... Um, monitor the distances and the speed so I went back into Google Photos and did a search for running and what I like about today's um, artificial intelligence is that it can just detect photos that probably show people running and so that's how I uh, found this big list of photos from uh, dating all the way back to 2006 when I first started to run. By the way, there was even like a series of photos. I think that um, a seminarian took those photos when he was still doing his internship at my parish because I'm running there in front of the rectory. So probably um, he, uh, he took some photos and sent them to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite confrontational to see myself um, at the start of my 
athlete's career, if you can call it like that. And man, I'm, I'm clearly very overweight at the time. Um, and even though I was very young compared to now, I look older in a certain way. Um, and I'm wearing these baggy, uh, these baggy training clothes and uh, very cheap shoes that I bought for, uh, I don't know, just maybe 30, 40 bucks somewhere. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it anyway. And over time, uh, I saw that Google showed me photos of my first half marathon and then uh, another half marathon the year after that. And then, and then I apparently, and I totally forgot about that, ran a full marathon. And I think it was the first, the first marathon ever in the city of Amersfoort, where I used to live. And it was organized to honor the 750th anniversary of the city. Um, and uh, I, was, I was amazed to see um, that... I, I have to backtrack here. So what I did was every time I found a photo of me running a half marathon or a marathon, I went online and I googled for the results, the, the, the race results, which at the time I had no idea that those were posted online. I didn't even really care for, that much for... Um, for how how fast I would run, or I, I mean, I was just running because I liked it. But apparently, all those races, all those results, are still available online. So I just searched for my name, and I found out that I ran my first marathon actually quite fast. I was pretty uh, impressed by my pace, overall pace, even though it was my first marathon ever. So that's where probably the age difference played a big role. And then over the years, um, constantly I was able to track which marathon and which speed, etc. And, uh, and I made a, sh a short list. Now, while browsing through Google Photos, uh, there were also years where I just couldn't find any information about me running a race. So um, I went through all the photos of that particular year. Like, for instance, in 2012, I didn't run any race. But then when I went through the photos, I, I, I saw why. Because that year I traveled across the globe in an unprecedented way. I, I, I was filming in Ethiopia. I had traveled to the United States. I think it was maybe Boston that year. Um, or Atlanta and some... Oh gosh, there was Australia there. I don't know how many trips, and of course, in the summer holidays, I, I went to France. Now, it's tons and tons of photos of so many different places. And the thing is, I was surprised that all those memories that these photos represent are from just one year. So I was so busy traveling that I didn't have time to train for, uh, for a race, which obviously uh, was... was <laughs> I couldn't have done any substantial training if you're, if you're on the move so often. But the thing that also struck me was that in my mind, those events covered maybe a decade. And yet, 
there they were, all those photos of all these different places and people that I met and, and, and beautiful nature all over the globe. And it was all just one year of very, very intense traveling. And that taught me a lesson. It, it showed me how much memories are expanding in a certain way in your mind over time. And I could have stayed at home. There were years in Google Photos during the pandemic where I never went anywhere. And so I have very few photos. Most of the photos that I have are, are from inside my home. And it's, it's snapshots of stuff I cooked or um, very, very few interesting things. And compared that to the plethora of photos of the years that, I, that I've been traveling. Um, it's, it's funny that I barely have any vivid memories of the pandemic because not much happened. <laughs> and so um, the reason I wanna, wanted to discuss this is uh, it, it reminded me of the importance of making memories and investing in making memories because events like especially travels and, and encounters and special moments um, they form your your identity in a certain way much more than just the daily grind of work and uh, I was I was watching uh, an episode of uh, Doctor Who yesterday evening I'm finally catching up on the last two seasons of Doctor Who uh, and I, I hadn't even seen the episode in which uh, the Scottish Doctor transforms into the first female Doctor Who and so uh, apparently that happened during a Christmas episode and it was a wonderful episode where they even bring back the first, the very first Doctor. Um, they have a look-alike actor to play him in uh, the, I don't know, it's the present. You never know really when Doctor Who takes place. But anyway, uh, modern times. And these two Doctors both don't want to regenerate. That's what Doctors do over time. They... Uh, they need to regenerate and they turn into a different version of themselves. They still retain the memories, but they become a totally different person. And so uh, the episode was all about um, the importance of memories to them and how much they held on to the past in a certain way and had difficulty letting go of those memories. Because letting go of memories is also letting go in a way of of a part of yourself. The reason that the Scottish doctor, played by Peter Capaldi, didn't want to let go, didn't want to regenerate, was that he was traumatized by having lost two of his travel companions. So, um, and this, is, this happens in um, earlier episodes, where two of the people that he, there's always a, one companion, and then in this case there is the English comedian that uh, played a recurring role as a, I think he's an alien, but he does accompany the doctor for a couple of seasons. And apparently he has lost both of these 
to uh, people very dear to him without really having had time to process that goodbye. And now that he is himself uh, about to regenerate, he feels like I'm not done yet. <laughs> I need to, I need to f- somehow find closure. Anyway, that's a whole episode about that. And then there is an alien race involved, or at least a metaphysical race of aliens that look almost like as if they are built out of glass. They're transparent. And um, the doctor discovers that they have the ability to snatch away people at the moment that they are dying and in an instant download all their memories and then put the people back into the moment where they are dying. And they are doing this to preserve the memories of all those who die. So it's not, it's not an evil uh, race. And the doctor is a bit bewildered by that. It's like, well, I don't know, there's, there's no evil plan. What am I doing now? I, I don't know how to handle benevolent aliens. And, um, and then the, these aliens regenerate these two travel companions. And at first the doctor is very hesitant and reluctant to accept them as uh, more than just, um, you could say, um, like artificial copies of the real people. But then the former companion of the doctor says, but no, it's me. It's really, it is me. And then the doctor says, but you sacrificed yourself. You died. I saw you. Um, uh, well, I'm not sure if she died or anyway, but she sacrificed her life. And I saw that. So how can you be here? And then she says something that struck me on a philosophical level. She says, but aren't we all a collection of memories? And so, yes, I am recreated by these aliens. But I have all the memories of the person that I am. And that's what constitutes me. And so it is really me. Because it's... It's, it's this, this collection of all these memories. Now, of course, as a theologian, I would have to object that uh, we are mere collections of memories because there is also something that we call a soul that is eternal. But what if that soul is also, you could say, the, the, the unifying... Uh, aspect of our beings that that gathers these memories and also preserves them in a certain way what it, what it, what use is it to be eternal to have an eternal soul if when we die we lose all our memories we would be nothing it would be like a total reboot and i don't think that that is uh doing justice to who we are And so if we assume that there is life after this life here on earth, that in a certain way we will live for eternity, the only way it can truly be us is if we can also bring our memories into 
this new life. And of course, those will be healed memories. There are lots of memories that can be traumatic and that can be very painful. But those memories were born in, a, in, a, in an environment, in a situation where love was not there or not enough. And so even in this life, we can also already start working on healing those memories, disconnecting them from the trauma and the traumatic response that it caused and that can sometimes severely uh, debilitate us and, and still hurt us today, even though the events themselves are, are in the past and, and the only thing left are memories. So even in this life, we can already separate the memories and, uh, and the events and the trauma. But what if, if we die? That is just a continuation of that process. We bring our memories, but they are no longer... We are able to observe them and to keep them without the... You know, anything that could, uh, that could hurt us or hurt others. Um, because the, the memories are preserved, but not the pain or the, or, or the trauma. I think, I mean, as a theologian, I would say, yes, we, we need to be ourselves with our memories in the hereafter. Um, another story that I am currently reading is a science fiction novel by an author called Blake Crouch. I'm a fan of, uh, of uh, all the books that I have read of him so far. And uh, this is a book he wrote a couple of years ago. Um, that is similar to the story of, of Doctor Who in the sense that um, there is now a way, uh, there is a, 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 a group of scientists that have figured out a way to capture and download the memories of people and then re-upload them at a, at a later point in time. And the science fiction element of the book is um, they, can, they can bring back people back in time through those downloaded memories. So you create like a, a reset point. This is very much, I think, inspired by what we do with computers. If you have a, a PC or a, a Mac, um, oftentimes we, we keep a backup or in Apple uh, terms, a, a time, what is it, a time machine or time capsule of our computers and every once in a while it will upload the current state of our computer and in case for instance our hard drive breaks down you can use that backup and reset your computer up to the point where you know you made that 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 um, archival copy of your computer so you may lose a little bit of of current stuff but at least most of your um, your computer system and the files will be intact because you had saved them at a certain reset point. Now, what the, in the book, the idea is if you bring back people to that reset point, they can start their life. There is kind of a... It's like the history is branching off from that moment on and you can remake the choices. Um, instead, and instead of everything going wrong... 
you can make a different choice and then your life will turn out completely different. The thing is in the book, it also impacts the entire world, not just that one person, but everybody at one point gets these recursive memories of a totally different world. And so it shows how very dangerous it is to mess with memories and how much memories also can mess with us. Um, But it it was funny to to have these two stories um, that are both about the incredible impact of of memories. And uh, what we do when we browse through our photos, for instance, is a kind of the, the real version of what these science fiction stories are, are showing us. Because through those photos, I can go back in time. I see myself at Disney World or at Universal Studios, the theme park. And this was when the Harry Potter um, section of the park was brand new. And I see all the photos that I took of the, the attractions and the, the decor and it brings me back immediately. And my memories, my real, my mem- not just the photos, but the memories are much more vivid than the photos that I took back then with this very old uh, iPhone. And, uh, but in my mind, I can totally replay that day. And I, it's almost as if I'm there again. The first butter beer that I drank, the first and only butter beer, I have to specify, I, I can still taste it. And I have a photo, it's a selfie, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the lens is a little bit uh, greasy, and uh, the, the, lens, the, the sensor of the camera couldn't really deal with the backlight, the sky was, was kind of bright, and so it, it's not a great photo. But it can trigger a memory that is so real that it instantly brings back that moment and that wonderful day that I spent there. It was just one day. But I've revisited that, that memory so often. And I do the same when, um, when I read a book. In that case, it's not my memories. But if I read a memoir of someone that, I, uh, that I'm interested in, I'm downloading the memories of that person, if it's an autobiography, into my mind. And I experience, to a certain extent, what that person has experienced. And I remember the events in the books that I've read almost as if I've also been through those experiences. I mean, that's actually quite stunning that we are able to relive and visit other people's memories if they have archived them in the form of photos or a book or, in my case also, uh, documentaries. This was always one of my joys when um, working on material that I had shot. Um, Almost uh, without thinking that I would ever tell a story with that material, but every vacation I would film um, and then, <laughs> because I was always uh, in need of of material for new television shows, um, I almost always went back to older vacations and assembled all the video footage and told a story with that. 
And what was so cool was that uh, since, since video editing is such a uh, time-consuming um, type of work, I would sometimes spend days on material that I had filmed in only one day. And so instead of just having had that one experience and those memories of that one particular day during one of my vacations in France or Italy or wherever on the planet, I get to spend sometimes even up to a week with, with memories that I formed and archived and documented on, on just one day. And so it expands the experience. And it also revives the memory. That's the cool thing. Um, I happen to have a very vivid imagination. And sometimes if I'm retelling events, uh, my mind interferes and, and, and starts to work on the story and make it uh, better or different or add details. Um, and it's, I guess it's just my... Uh, the fact that I've been brought up with stories and I love stories and I love to tell stories that oftentimes those stories will uh, will be <laughs> embellished or enhanced. Uh, the other day I got a, um, a, a note from Father Henry and he, he had found um, something on a like a daily calendar, uh, like an observation. And he, he, had, uh, he tore it off and sent it to me by snail mail. When I get an envelope and it's like there's a handwritten address, nine, out, nine times out of ten, it's from Father Henry. He loves to, to still write um, like pen and paper letters. So anyway, Father Henry was always a bit... Mm, it was always a mix of fascination and, and indignation when I would retell stories or experiences that we had had together. And, uh, and oftentimes, the way I would tell the story was very different from what he remembered. And I'm pretty sure that his memory pr was probably more reliable than my memory of the event. And so, oftentimes he would say, oh, it's just Father Roderick just making up history as he goes. <laughs> or, if you would put it really bluntly, Father Roderick just lying again about what, what happened. Here's what really happened. And we would have these, these discussions. And I always said, well, you know what? Yes, that, that is what really happened. Sure. But my version of what happened is a lot cooler. It is a lot more, I know, it's more fun. And so he sent me this note where it was this observation about the same thing. It was like, if someone makes up a story and you know it's made up, it's not a lie. It's because that person's imagination is too big to be contained in the small container of just the facts. And he later on uh, came to see me uh, and he said, you know what, I, that, that's when I finally understood why you tell stories the way you do. It's, it's just because your imagination is too big to be confined by just the mere facts. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Thank you. Um, but what going through my archive memories in the form of photos and videos also helps me to do is to, um, in a certain way, also contain um, the, let's say, embellishment of, of what happened. 
and those memories, but it also helps fill in the gaps in my memory because oftentimes I would be working on, um, well, let's say, just as an example, um, I was in France, uh, when was it? Or in Tuscany. And uh, we were visiting an old monastery. And I was just filming just very simple footage of the building and stuff. There was an exposition that you could uh, could visit. And I was a bit bored. It was all kind of not really that... I mean, it's interesting, but I, I, I could imagine more fun things to do on a very hot summer day in Tuscany. Um, most of those alternative... Um, experiences would involve gelato probably but anyway after going back through that footage I suddenly notice that I can tell a story about that monastery and that it fits a broader story that I am putting together about that whole time in Tuscany because of course if you're telling a story it needs to have a hook it needs to have an you know, a reason for people to listen to that story. Otherwise, I'll, I would just be like Grandpa Simpson. Let me tell you about that one time in the war when blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, by the way. <laughs> it's like these stories that have no beginning or end, um, nor no head or tail, I think you say, and, and no purpose. So those stories are really boring. But if you, if you uh, tell a story where... There is, a, there is something you want to find out or discover or, a, or a, a mystery that has to be solved or a problem you need answers to. That's the kind of storyline that, that will involve the listener or in my case, the viewer. And so I was thinking about like an overarching story for my vacation in, in Tuscany and how I could integrate all that material that otherwise would just be, you know, fun memories for me because I've been there. But that's not fun if... It's, it's like if someone shows you the photos of his or her f- vacation on their phones and you cannot relate because you don't know the context. There is no story. It's just, oh, here it is. Us on this. Oh, this was awesome. This was a bike ride. Remember? Uh, uh, and talking to some other family member. Remember that day that we were there? That was so cool. Yeah, that was so cool. And then you're watching those photos thinking, oh, my gosh. Stop it. Sure, that was fun, but... How many more photos do I have to see? And there's no story. So anyway, um, I was thinking about this bigger story of Tuscany and how can I make it interesting for anyone who has not been with me on vacation. And and then I went back. I, I looked at that footage at the mon- at that monastery, and I noticed details that I filmed. And then usually I Google a little bit about the history of that monastery. And all of a sudden, I have a story. And I notice things that I did not notice when I was actually visiting there. In fact, the whole visit becomes so much cooler because it's now not just a boring afternoon where we're catering to Father Henry's insatiable uh, hunger for historical facts (laughs) and old buildings. But now it's a story that I'm involved in and it it recolors, gives depth to those memories. It's so fascinating that, that 
oftentimes when I'm working on a documentary, not only do I relive memories, but I reinterpret them and they become in a certain way much more impactful than they were when I was there. All this, in summary, to tell myself and to share with you how valuable it can be to make memories. This is, I, d I don't remember if I talked about this, but uh, um, a couple of months ago I was reading this book, or maybe it was just a few weeks ago. There's a book about um, budgeting. And uh, I think the title was Die Broke or Die With Zero or something like that. It, the book was a... Um, was advocating uh, that you would spend all your money before you die. Now, I, I know that many of you will now think, but what about my children? You need to leave an inheritance. Well, the book says, why don't you spend it on your children right now? <laughs> it makes a calculation. Yeah. Most people now die long after they pass the, their 70th, 70th birthday. Your children by then will have already be, they will almost be retired themselves. Whereas if you would give them money now, they can spend it on their kids. It's, this is, they are young now, so they need money much more than, than when you are about to die. By, by the way, you can never tell how old you, you'll become. So you're, why not invest in, in things that are important now? Why wait until you are dead and you actually have no control over where that money goes? But it also the book also said something that struck me because, of course, I don't have uh, kids or grandchildren. Um, the book said, you have to keep in mind that time keeps ticking. And there is a time and a season, it's actually very biblical, this, there is a time and a season for things in your life. And when you are still able to travel, travel! Don't, don't procrastinate on stuff like that. If you can go to, um, to I don't know, have two festivals or whatever. I'm filling this in. I don't recall exactly what the book said. But... Um, in my case, if, if I have the opportunity now to go to, let's say, a Star Wars celebration in London, do it now. Because in 10 years from now, you, you may not have the energy or you won't be able to, because your life will have changed, you won't be able to, to, to experience that. If you are able to, to work out and to... Uh, you know, in, invest some of your time in in sports. Do it now. Don't think, well, I'll run that marathon in a couple of years from now because you'll get older. I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen how fast I was during my first marathon and how much. And that was a marathon that I barely trained for. And now, in order to top that speed, I think I'm going to top it, but consider the amount of work I've, I've had to do uh, because now I'm 54 years old and back then I was what was it 2006 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was 38, right? So um, don't, don't procrastinate things that you can do now or should do now because you never know if in the future you will still have the disposition and the physical health to do that or the mental health even. And so, and it's not just for yourself because this otherwise may sound a little bit uh, egotistical. Like, like let's, let's enjoy, you know, <laughs> YOLO, you only live once. Um, but, but memories can also uh, be very valuable to the people with who you have those memories. You know, the, the, the summer holidays that I spent with my three other priest friends are not just valuable to me, but they are super precious to them too. And, and uh, the other three have very busy lives, very involved. One is the uh, general vicar of the bishop. And uh, Father Michael, Michel, is, is traveling the world um, with his, uh, you know, Treating with God books and um, the whole evangelization uh, mission that is part of his life or is kind of the, the, the core of, of what he does as a priest. And then you've got Father Henry, who is a full-time pastor, uh, has just started this new parish. And, but having this, these, this one time every year where it's just 10 days, barely more than 12 days, because we're all so busy, but to know that there will be this moment where we will make new memories, we'll get to experience things together. It's super important, and it keeps us going for the rest of the year. And then I've showed them, of course, also my documentaries based on our vacations. And they seem to enjoy that as well. Even though, of course, I get the unavoidable comments from Father Henry that, well, that was not exactly what happened there. And in my voiceover, of course, I can modify the story and make it more, um, I don't know, more interesting. And I often tell him, but this is not uh, a day-to-day journalistic report. This is a story that I'm telling. And so I'm retelling the story of our vacation and try to stay close to, um, to what happened from day to day. But also I need to come up with connective narrative t- tissue. I, it, it, a story needs to go somewhere. So sometimes I will inject... Uh, a quest or a question or a problem that maybe at the time I wasn't aware of. But in hindsight, it helps to guide uh, the, the, the trip through memory lane in a certain way. So um, another aspect of, of why it is so important to invest in making memories instead of just always continuing to work, work, work and save money and uh, for later is that you don't know how long you'll be the guardian of those memories. And, I, and it's also very important to, if you can, to share these memories or to document them because you may not be able to archive them yourself. One thing is for sure. At one point, we will all die. 
We'll take our memories with us, but they'll be gone for the people that we leave behind, unless we have somehow documented this. How often do I hear that at funerals? People say, oh, I wish I'd asked my mom or my dad about what happened in their lives, and we never really had time where we really didn't never sit down to talk about that, and, and now it's gone forever. I'll never know what happened, or if my memory is, is the same as theirs. And um, it, if I look at my own life, my father has been suffering from dementia for years now. And uh, he used to be a, a wonderful storyteller. And he would always tell us about the times that he went to France as a teenager even um, to, uh, to assist a local village pastor and um, he would just go on a, um, what is it, like a motorized bike, like a small one. And he would just travel through, through Brittany or wherever. And he had always had stories about that. It's probably just one or two vacations that he did that. But f for our entire uh a childhood he he was telling us stories his love for for Scotland and everything that was related to um, the Scottish culture um, came from the few times that he actually traveled Scotland um, and some of them with my mom when they were young and uh, they didn't have kids yet and it impacted his entire life. Uh, and it was just a few trips through Scotland. And when I went to Scotland a couple of years ago, I made a documentary, or I was actually working on a documentary about, I think, my last trip to Scotland. And, um, and he was, I think, at the time already starting to forget things. But I showed him some of the uh, locations that we'd been to and then he's like oh I remember that and he uh, went to his room and found an old black and white book with photos of Scotland that someone had gifted him after one of his trips to Scotland and he said ah, this is where you've been and oh I remember that and he started to tell stories and um, and I'm pretty sure that uh, even though sometimes um, people that suffer from dementia can really lose track of where they are and the present day because their short-term memory is, uh, is, uh, is gone. If you can trigger these old memories, and oftentimes they can tell you stories that surprise you in their detail. And sometimes the older someone becomes, the, the more vivid the, the memories of, of old events is strengthened whereas the the current times you know especially if you're in a care home and every day feels like the day before um, those memories become so precious and so important uh, so I'm thinking you know the past few weeks I've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, what I want to focus on this year.
And I would say, if I look at all those photos of the past 20 years, I can tell which years were the most precious to me. And it's the, the years that I traveled, especially abroad, because there are also lots of photos of short one-day trips that I made before, uh, for my television show. So I see myself with a, surrounded by a camera crew interviewing people, and I have no recollection whatsoever. And I know why. Because I was just doing my job there. I was just filming some stand-ups. You know, of, other people would make the items in the television program. And the only thing I had to do was to go on location and sometimes interview someone with questions that the, the, the team had, had come up with. Uh, they do their, their intake conversations with the people that I was going to interview. And then there were these short announcements that I had to uh, record on location. So no wonder I don't recall any of those moments because I was not, that was not my story. I wasn't there to figure out something or to experience something. I was just there to just do my job. <laughs> and there are other years where I was actively um, filming my own stories. I, I have way more vivid memories of those visits, even if they were in the Netherlands. Um, and I also, uh, when I look at, at photos from certain vacations, um, I have very vivid memories, and I know that they're so vivid, not because those vacations were different from other vacations, but it's because I've been working on a documentary based on that footage. So I came across a whole uh, collection of photos that I took in Greece, and the funny thing is, and this is more than 10 years ago, um, I barely recalled anything, even though I had the photos. And I know why, because that's one of the vacations that I did not film. I only took a few photos. And so um, I never turned that experience into a documentary. I only had snapshots. I never told a story with, with those memories. And so, looking back now, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I had filmed something. If I had uh, recorded, uh, even if it's just mundane footage, I would have probably had enough material to create a travel story. And then those memories of that one time that I was in Greece would have been so much more, would have had so much more value. So, anyway, um, I realized that, that the, the years that I cherished the most were the years that I was making, actively making memories. And I was reprocessing those memories by turning them into documentaries. So, if those years are the highlights of the past 20 years, that's a lot. You know, 20 years, that is like a quarter of my life if I get to be 80, which is not even guaranteed. So why 
would I not travel? Why would I not make, make stories and make memories? This is, this is for me, um, it, this helps me to realize that every opportunity I get to make new memories and to go on travels and to explore and to discover are not to be, not to be missed. This, the, the, yesterday when I was running the 30 kilometers, uh, especially during the first five kilometers, I was, I was uh, having a hard time because I, I was supposed to run at a, at, at a marathon pace. Like the trainer gave me uh, basically a, a goal um, that I had to run each kilometer in five minutes and 34 seconds if... I want to finish the next marathon under four hours, which would be a personal record. And so during those first five kilometers, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. This is so hard. Remind me why I want to do this. Why shouldn't I just run a marathon later this year? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to train in the winter time. I'm still oftentimes so tired because of the long COVID uh, chronic fatigue and and every time I spend an entire morning running I can barely do any work in the afternoon maybe I should just cancel the whole idea of running a marathon and now I'm thinking no I'm not going to do that because I don't know what my situation will be later this year or the next year and when I was going through the memories of all these races that I ran, I really missed the years that I I don't I didn't train, I didn't go outside. I missed an opportunity to to stay fit and to clear my mind just by running outside. It's just one of the mental benefits of of running and one of my main motivations to keep just keep doing this. It's because it, it really helps me to put things into perspective, just like walking does. But at the same time, also um, making sure that if I have the energy, and I'm, I'm working hard on, on trying to balance my life as much as possible so I have uh, a, a consistent uh, energy reserve in the next couple of months, I want to make those trips. I, I want to go to London and visit the Star Wars celebration and maybe take some extra time to travel around because that's a part of the UK that I've never been to. And yeah, it's not the optimal season. It is early April, so it can be cold and rainy and, 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 and you know, I'm traveling by myself. I don't really have a plan. I see a lot of um, excitement among fans online about you know i'm gonna get an autograph of hayden christensen and, uh, and 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 you know the guy who played anakin skywalker and they they are so obsessed with the the the, the merchandise that they're gonna buy and and i'm thinking you know what i don't i couldn't care less i'm just not into that kind of stuff so why am i actually going to london it's a, it's it's an expensive convention it's it's um, it's a daunting trip because I've never been to London. I don't really know what to do <laughs> once I'm there, and 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 then I'm, I'm also 
like I'm telling myself, no, don't think like that. Just don't overthink it. Just go. And it will be a good experience. It's like oftentimes when we go on vacation in the summertime, I'm always having these mixed feelings like, oh my gosh, I, it's going to be so hot in Tuscany. And then uh, Father Henry is going to ask us to visit all these museums. I don't want to. I want to eat more gelato. <laughs> and, then, and so I, I always like resist this idea. Like, why? So why do I do this? Why do I want to go? To, why do I go on vacation in Tuscany? And then like a minute later, like, dude, it's such an opportunity. Don't overthink it. Overthink it. It is always going to be valuable because it creates memories. You go to a place you, you've never been to. Just grab your camera and a story will come up. It always does. Trust the process. And that's what I'm telling myself now with regards to uh, London. And also later on in this year, so London is just going to be April, but I'm thinking, you know what? Springtime this year, I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure that I do travel and maybe, well, we're already going to Brittany in France in the summertime. So maybe I'll go to Scotland later on in, in the springtime because I know that, that, you know, spring or fall, fantastic seasons to go to Scotland you don't want to be there in the middle of the summertime maybe and definitely not right now where it's still snowing and it's super cold but i want to go visit those star wars locations that we saw in andor why not it's out there in the highlands and it gives me another reason to to just travel there and and be in scotland it's so close by why do i keep telling myself oh it's too cumbersome it's too expensive and uh i have other things to do what other things you know, recording podcasts behind your desk, creating a TikTok video of one minute that is here here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> what is what can be more important than than going places and bring people along and tell compelling stories about the places that you visit? Isn't that what makes um, my life as an educator, as someone who loves to share the beauty of? Uh, the the culture that we live in and and to explore and and also explore faith-wise and what it does to me isn't that the most precious thing that I can do with my time creating memories and sharing memories in story form so that other people can live those experiences through my eyes isn't that what I've always done isn't that what I'm doing right now when I'm walking here and the sun is setting and uh I'm, I'm on my way home. I've been walking through the woods. Of course, I've not been describing uh, the environment. Oh, oh man, someone is cooking and smells so good. <laughs> Some, sometimes when you walk uh, past a house and they're cooking in the kitchen, they have the ventilator on or the whatever, and so you, you smell exactly what they're cooking. And this, this, sound, this smells like meatloaf or something like that. Oh, I'm getting hungry. Anyway, so um, there you go. I just put this image of a kitchen and nice, delicious food in a pan in your mind. But isn't that what I've always done from the very first the moments that I started podcasting? I was 
bringing my listeners to Rome and we were witnessing the uh, the death of John Paul II and then the election of Pope Benedict and then later on the the first words of, of Pope Francis and yeah someone else could have done that as well and there were lots and lots of reporters there and television but my experience was my experience and in that regards it was unique and so if that has always been my joy why would I not invest in that travel and tell stories and and focus on the documentaries not because I need a job and maybe I can sell those episodes to a broadcasting station or anything. No, that's not what it is about. It's about sharing stories that can have an impact on other people's lives. Um, and my memories can be other people's memories because they can download it into their brain thanks to the stories that I share. And isn't that... Isn't that isn't that wonderful? And I would love to share that passion in, in telling these stories. And maybe, and this is something I'm also thinking about, uh, but that will, I will expand upon that in another episode of The Walk. Um, maybe teaching other people to do the same. And sharing the more than 20 years that I've been doing this, the experience and the lessons learned and what I've learned from my attempts that, that failed and the ones that were successful and helping other, people's to, other people to do the same. Because at one point in my life, uh, my stories will be over. But I would have loved, I would love to empower other people to become storytellers themselves as well. But it all begins with creating memories and investing now that you have the opportunity to do so in 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 having these experiences and, and traveling i saw a video on discord of one of our patrons it's actually a couple they're going to walk to rome i think and so they are they made a video uh, in which they um graciously offer people to pray for their intentions along their pilgrimage and uh, he contacted me a, a few, was it last week and he said are you still looking for an iphone because i just got a new one to film my uh, my pilgrimage and i have uh, the other one uh, that maybe you could use and so but i already had this iphone uh, 10 that i'm currently using so I thanked him for the generosity. Um, but I applauded him on wanting to film his experiences. And uh, if he can somehow... Uh, maybe you're listening, actually. I would say, uh, tell a story on camera and, and put it together and put it online and show people. Because I am interested in, in that journey and uh, I love to watch... Uh, footage from people who have already walked that road and maybe I'll get inspired to do the same that's how I prepared myself for the Camino it's another example of an experience that I I would I can always go back to it's one of the most 
impressive journeys that I've ever made. It, it's been life-changing and I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. But I can't walk to Santiago every year. But I can always go back to the documentary that I filmed about it. Anyway, and, and, and this is also why I think it's so important that I, that I share those documentaries with you. And uh, th th there is just more than a decade of fantastic stories that I still have on my hard drive. And the only thing I need to do is to figure out how to put them together and make an English version of those stories. Um, but I think it's the best investment that I can um, that I can do with my time. So love to hear your ideas. Um, if you're a patron, of course, uh, feel free to uh, discuss this in the Discord section of the walk. And uh, otherwise, there's always the website fatherodrick.com and my social channels if you want to uh, talk more about the importance of sharing memories. And if you have any suggestions of trips and experiences that I should include in my life now that I can still travel, <laughs> I'd love to hear them. Um, I'm sure that there are many more adventures to be had. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless.